0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Paradigm 132 Podcast, and I am your humble and gracious host, Richard Horn. And on today's episode, I want to do a short book review on a book that I just read over the weekend, uh, written by Dr. Thomas Soul, entitled Charter Schools and Their Enemies. Um, it was a very uh, interesting book, um, about 135 pages of actual reading, and probably about 70 or so more pages of just uh, statistical data that he had taken from test scores um, from children that uh, attended public schools, attended charter schools, and also students that attended, well, charter schools that were also operating with inside of a public school. And the the test results were based on the math and English uh, test. And so obviously you got uh four levels. You have uh level one, two, three and four. Um, from a Mississippi standpoint, uh four is advanced, three is proficient, uh two is basic and one is minimum. So in many regards one is is failing um minimum um in many aspects means that you you you, you grasp it but you grasp it again at a at a basic level. And before I lose this particular this thought, I want to go ahead and expound on that particular point, because he made a very unique uh, point in that particular book. And I could kind of think about it myself in reference to um um something. <clears throat> he spoke about how a particular student could probably make minimum on a standardized test. And they could be promoted uh, to the next grade without addressing the issue. The issue is, is that the child is at minimum. Right. I mean, the child is at basic. So you're going to promote them to the next grade. If indeed a particular test is taken, let's just say an eighth grade test or something like that, they're going to be promoted to the next grade. With only minimum, I mean only basic understanding of the material in either math or English. So the likelihood that the child is actually going to catch up from a minimum or basic level by promoting them are slim to none. And so I thought about that myself and I and I looked back on on something about myself. Um I was I was, I was proficient uh in math up until probably the 6th grade. Okay? Up until the 6th grade I was I was proficient in math. And because I was an A and B student up until that particular point. But when I got to the 6th grade, I got my first C in math, right? I'm a first C. Now obviously <clears throat> me, a C is not a D, a C is not, you know, a C is not a, a, a an F uh by any stretch of the imagination. But looking back on that particular time right there, um and again this is no against my parents or anything like that, but that particular issue, um Should have been addressed. Okay, you've been making A's and B's and have actually had A averages in math. So what transpired in the sixth grade that you went from a A, B average in math to now you're at a C? And so that C eventually stayed at a C, It became a lower C, even crept into the D's. Um, But it it somewhat remained at a C. And I recall, I believe, uh, was it my ninth grade? I can't remember what grade I was in. It may have been my last year of high school. And we were in math class and the initial teacher that they had, I just absolutely could not understand her teaching. Um, but majority of the kids could, could vibe with her, but I just I just couldn't grasp her way of teaching. Um, luckily for me, <laughs> she ended up getting pregnant and had to go on maternity leave. And so they brought in a substitute teacher and I could understand her way of teaching great. And so I went from like a D average, um, from the other teacher to all the way up into a B average under this particular teacher. So I would always say, you know, I wasn't good in math, but I'm just like, well, you've shown the propensity to make B's in math, so it's not the aspect that you're not good in something. Math is one of those type of things where you just have to you have to work on it, right? It's not like something where you can just memorize and just write answers down, you know? And so it kind of plays into that whole aspect of um, people kind of run away from things that they have to continue to work at, right? You know, when things don't come easy, Uh, Some people like to run to the challenge, whereas others like to, you know, fall down by the wayside. But anyway, getting back on topic. So one of the things that he um, in reference to a charter school in the event that a child um, gets basic or minimum on the math section, the child will not be promoted. The issue will be um, addressed. Now, however, one of the things um, detractors. Uh, say about in reference to charter schools is that what they do with low performing students to keep their reputation up as far as you know the amount of percentage of kids that make threes and fours on these particular tests is they drop you know they don't allow for the kids to continue to go to school because your grades are weighing down the overall appeal of a charter school, which is supposed to be a superior alternative from an educational standpoint to public schools, right? So again, so that's what, you know, some of the detractors say. So while that, whereas I'm doing a a book, a book review of the book, you know, I just want to interject some of those particular um, things as well. So one of the things that the advantages that um, which is also a disadvantage, again, that of the, the tractor, um, which he, he notated this in the book, um, they have a zero tolerance for behavioral issues um, at charter schools um, because the environment that is trying to be um, set is an environment in which you want, you're there to learn you're not there to goof off to be a class clown. Um he talked about one particular example where um there was a school where one of the students um uh, made some sexual advances um at one of the um teachers. Uh she sent the student to the office, you know, hoping for disciplinary uh actions and the student <laughs> was told to return back to class. <laughs> and that kind of reminds me of an example from my for myself. And I know I'm kind of getting off, but it, it it's it just made me think about it. We were in the library one time and um I wasn't the one that, that was talking loud. Like one of my somebody at the table with me was talking loud. However, I think I had already kind of rubbed the library in the wrong way. So she gave me the what the what we call an office referral. Um, we had office referrals and demerits. So a demerit was more so like a warning. You didn't have to leave the class, but that was your disciplinary action. However, when you got an office referral, um, you would go to the office, and in school suspension would kind of be um, your punishment. So I got the office referral. I went to the office. Luckily, again for me um they didn't feel that what she wrote the office referral for was office referral worthy. She, they felt that this was just the merit worthy so they sent me back to to the library. And so when I went back to the library, she was like, "What are you doing back here?" like, you know, like that. But I will say this though. After that incident, uh me and that librarian, we had a um a very um good relationship. Um, After that, I never was um, disruptive um, in the library um, again. And we, you know, we, when I would go to the library and stuff like that to check out books for research projects and stuff like this, she was always cordial with me. And, you know, um, I was always cordial with her um, afterwards, after that particular event. So, you know, kind of grew a a respect for one another after that. But getting back to um, the book. So, essentially... A situation like that would never happen at a charter school. If a student did make those type of advances at a an educator, they would be removed from the school altogether. Now, one of the things that the detractors um, say about that is it's not fair for charter schools to have such a strenuous or just such a stern uh, disciplinary uh, system, because what ends up happening is is those particular students will be you know forced to go back to a public school and public schools while they have different provisions available at least i'm speaking from a southern perspective i can't speak from other regions but at least from the school district that i attended if you were a real real troublemaker they would send you to alternative school right if you were somewhat of a troublemaker, you, obviously you had in-school suspension. And if you were just, you know, every now and again, like I say, you get a demerit or something like that. That's what they kept it. But also the thing of it is, is that it's the public school's job because it's, it's, it's money on the line for them to have as many children attending school. That's the incentive. Right. And so one of the biggest things that he's trying to highlight in this particular book is that many public schools, they're. First initial emphasis is not educating the child. And the reason that he says that, well, two reasons that he said that is simply because they fear competition from charter schools. And also they put up with more disciplinary actions because they know that they're getting a per pupil um, per pupil, they have money. That money is 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 given to them on a per pupil basis, based on how much they assess that the 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 price of a child is, and that doesn't sound right, kind of, but but that's but that's what it is. And one of the things that I heard from Dr. Umar Johnson was that he said the children that are in special ed they get double that money, right? So um, that's that's a whole nother different discussion at the end of the day. So. Um one of the things about um that that are up that I also detract to say about charter schools is charter schools do not require um the same amount of education um in reference to their teachers as a public school has because obviously public school you know they want you know certain levels of education, you know, master I mean, you know, masters, bachelor's, all those particular things like that to become a teacher whereas um, charter schools don't have those same type of barriers in place, which those barriers can be good and those barriers can be bad because obviously they can be good because you don't want to hire someone to teach children and they don't necessarily have the resume that indicates that they can teach children. But also, on this, but on the same, but by the same token, Just because you did go to school to become a teacher does not mean that you know how to teach children. And there are people who haven't gone to school to be a teacher that can teach children. Right. So I don't have statistics in front of me uh, indicating who is the better educator. But the thing of it is, is, is that's something that, you know, you can you can take into consideration. Another thing that's kind of interesting that he that he talks about. In the, in the particular book. And I've heard him say this uh, on an interview as well. Um, he doesn't necessarily believe in schools trying to appease um, a multitude of children. Um, and this is kind of, I don't want to say it's controversial by any stretch, but I don't wholeheartedly agree um, with that particular assessment in reference to Feeling that schools shouldn't offer a lot of soft type of subjects to appease certain students, you know, like certain elective based courses, you know, Um, I guess um something like I guess like dancing or, you know, some schools have those particular different things like that. But obviously. When you have a lot of students at a school, you're getting a lot of money per pupil, which means that you can you have more money at your disposal to offer more. Um, a larger variety of things to do, which I guess if I'm taking it from his vantage point, it's. It's almost like, okay, you're offering these other alternative things to do, and they end up becoming somewhat of distractions, and they're taken away from the student's learning capacity. Um, You have instances in which children are good at other things, but are struggling in the the core subjects of math, um, science, reading. They're struggling in those core courses, but they're doing exceptionally well in a selective course over here, right? And... One of the other things that he that he talked about in reference to the money that public schools get from um, the number of students that they have is that, as he says, detractors will argue that a reduction in the students leads to less money, which leads to them not being able to accomplish everything it is that they want to accomplish, and he hits back with their multiple schools who get less money than a lot of these other schools and they're doing very well. And so he talked about like um New York and Baltimore and other, you know, particular school districts like that some of the larger school districts where a lot of the schools are actually, you know, closing down. And they're closing down and they're also signing into law that the old buildings cannot be used for charter schools, right? And so based on the ref based on just reading this book, I believe this obviously this book was written prior to um Gavin Newsom, uh the California governor being um elected because he's uh Thomas Sowell. he lives in California. And so he was just talking about a lot of the legislation that had been signed into place, um, in New York as well as into California that is um making it very, very hard uh to open and operate charter schools um essentially because um teachers unions would not get dues from teachers who work at charter schools so where well where, whereas also if you have a reduction in students it leads to you know, obviously, some what times a reduction in, in teachers at the public schools because those teachers may want to go work at charter schools, especially if it's situations where there's a zero tolerance for um, certain behaviors. Now, obviously, you I think you have you have to have uh, a little bit of leniency in, in 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 some of the disciplinary actions because it was one particular example, and I can't I don't have an example right in front of me, but it was like something like with a young child. And at first when I read it I was thinking I said well that's a little bit harsh Thomas. You know young children are going to you know they're going to they're going to do certain things. They're going to get up from the desk and walk around. But as I continued to read I understood the point that he was making. And the point that he was making is that if it's okay for these particular disciplinary actions to go un um punished at a early age then those same actions are going to eventually lead to other actions as they get older. And then it's going to be too late to try to rectify the issue. And then you get to issues that we have later on that don't have anything to do with charter schools. But, you you know, you have those particular um, things that are that are at play as well. So I thought that was kind of unique and that was kind of interesting um, because I was I was listening to um I was listening to some broadcast, and they were just talking about how the young men, they want to make sure, you know, that they wear belts, um, you know, keep their shirt tucked in and stuff like that. And, you know, when you look at it, little things like that, you don't really think that they kind of add up when you, you know, you kind of, when you kind of look at it and think about it. But if you put a little bit more, you know, time into thinking about it and say, well, you know what? Yeah, though, that, 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 you know, that is something that could be admirable. Um, um, having, um, young men as well as young women, um, understanding proper etiquette and, you know, and how to dress and stuff like that and not being a, a distraction and things like that. So, um, you know, that's, that's very interesting. Now, again, I got prefaced this by saying, um, charter schools are not a hundred percent effective. Um, you have certain charter schools that, um, are ineffective. Um, currently, or at least a rumor um, around in the, the, the area that I stay that it was a school that had closed down and there was talks that they were going to turn it into a charter school. And so I was just kind of looking at some of the comments and some of the people were kind of upset, which some of them had a valid point because there is another abandoned building that I believe has been abandoned in the city since, I want to say, two thousand and two thousand eight. 2008. Or something like that. I believe that was a time frame. It's been abandoned since then. Instead so was thinking, why well, don't you know, go in and, and, and you know, turn that into a charter school or whatever, you know, whatever the situation is. And I could just look at some of the comments in the in the one particular school that shut down. When you look at the the results or the 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 test scores in these particular things, the school was not performing well. And so it's kind of one of those things. And so some of the things that I that I saw was what they were going to do is they're going to take the students from that particular school and they were going to divvy them up into two other middle schools within the city. And so some of the things that the people said were that you're going to have students that come from areas that uh, don't necessarily have the best relationships going to school with one another. And I stopped and I thought for a second, I said, They are opening charter schools because I saw something. There was a a charter school in New Orleans um, where all of the graduates um, were going to college. We're going to go to college. And I stopped and I thought, I said, you know what? Charter schools are based on like a a lottery system where like they just put random names. Some of them are right. Um, I've heard some um, charter schools where you have to take like an entrance uh, entrance entrance exam takes to get into the school and then you have some that go by lottery. But just say you do use the lottery system to to pick the children, the chances are you're probably going to have children that come from neighborhoods, and I'm just using New Orleans for instance. You're probably gonna have kids that come from neighborhoods and areas that from a historical standpoint, those particular areas don't have the best relationships. However, none of that foolishness spills over into the charter school. So it's being allowed to slip into the public schools, which is a very interesting thing. But again, going back to what Dr. Soul said, if you're so focused on educating children, then you're going to let things like that slip in there. You're going to allow for children who are not there to learn um, disrupt classrooms, make life hard for teachers. But the thing about it is that it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be fair to say that if children don't want to learn, you should kick them out. And we all... Probably watch "Lean on Me," and that's exactly what Morgan Freeman did, you know, depicting that particular character from that movie. Is let's get the ones that don't want to be here out of here, and let's turn this back into this particular environment. And a public school would not risk doing something like that for the simple fact you're going to get backlash from the parents. And even if you didn't get the backlash from the parents, you're going to not get as much money from the government to operate the school. And due to the fact that a lot of these particular schools have individuals who have all these particular degrees, but somehow mismanage money. <laughs> it's startling. And I'm not even gonna, and, and I'm going to say mismanage because I don't want to I don't want to accuse um, other people of, you know, just 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 stealing money. Which, you know, obviously that that, that occurs in some of these schools as well. But what you're going to say, y'all have all these degrees, but yet somehow you're able to mismanage this money and feel like we need more money to come in so you can continue to mismanage the money, right? And no one is, you know, you're not held accountable, which is another thing, another point that he brought up about charter schools. Charter schools are held accountable by parents. So the charter school is not performing, the taxpayers can say, well, we don't want to continue to donate tax money towards the school because it's not doing anything. It's not it's not increasing the educational level for the students. So it becomes of the utmost importance to say that, well, I have to teach because my job is on the line. Whereas if you're from a, a public school aspect and again, this is not all of them. But a lot of them, their first priority is make sure we have enough students in school so that we can make sure that we get this money. So we can, you know, all those particular different things. So if a child has behavioral issues, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that the child is going to be there, whether we have to suspend them for five days and bring them back to the school. You're not solving the problem. And so I kind of think that that's one of the issues that coincides with teachers and they talk about teacher pay because I'm going to ask a teacher, you know, I'm going to ask a teacher, Um, I'm going to ask one and I'm going to ask them if you didn't have to deal with children that um, gave you uh, disciplinary issues and things like that, um, along with, you know, some other things. You know, would you feel that you need more money? Because I know that's one of the things that they have to deal with, because you deal with the students and then sometimes you have disgruntled parents that come up there. And so I'm just like, wouldn't it be nice if if you didn't have to worry about any of that? You could go to school or go you know, go to work and there's no disruptions. All the kids are, you know, a student, everyone did their homework. You don't have to uh chastise or discipline anybody or anything like that. So, you know, I'm I'm wondering but I'm sure they probably still want more money, but I just I would be interested to know some of the other factors aside from, uh, disciplinary issues that go into, um, those particular things like that. Right. But, um, it's an interesting book. Like I said, it's 135 pages. Like I said, I like to read, um, just in case I want to highlight something, um, to present and he's, he's pro-choice in reference to choosing schools uh for for children it was one of the things that his uh professor um Milton Freeman talked about in reference to like a negative income tax where the income tax the negative income tax for people that were um low income could use a negative income tax to be somewhat of a you know voucher system for low-income parents to allow for their, to choose where they want to send their kids. So instead of getting income tax money back for carrying the child, you know, whatever the amount is, that money could be subsidized to pay for somewhat of a yearly tuition, um, at a charter school to make sure that your child is getting the best, um, or at least one of the best forms of education, um, out there. But As the book goes on to say, there is a fight um, to minimize the amount of charter schools. Um, There's a fight to allow for um, old buildings to be sold and then converted into charter schools. Um, Again, for one of the reasons, like I said, you know, you those is competition. So um, he talked about how and this, like I said, this, this had to be around 2017, whatever i'm just saying yeah it had to be 2017 because some of the statistics were from 2017 2018 i may have been from 2016 i don't really know when gavin Newsom took office um but in any regard it was just one of those things where he said there were like um around america there were over a million children that were on waiting list um for charter schools and i'm sure that i'm sure that number has grown um you know, since that particular time, you know, just like all other things, you know, those particular numbers end up growing um, over time. So I wouldn't mind because, you know, a lot of people, um, as he as he talked about people opening schools and talking about all the money that they need, but he just broke it down so simply, he said, you know, just say if you want to teach math, all math requires is, a math book and a dry erase board and boom you got a whole math class <laughs> you know what i mean and so just the simplicity of things and that's one of the things that i really like about um listening to him lecture and reading his books is just the simplicity um that he breaks things down so that you can understand it. and i never thought about it like that so yeah you can literally open up a math school and all you need is a math book not even a not even a new math book you can just get like some old math books from somewhere because math math is not something that changes math is math geometry is geometry trig is trig chem you know um tree you know trig is trig calculus is calculus algebra is algebra geometry is geometry it it doesn't matter regardless of the edition of the book that they have and that is just something that you can do with some books dry erase board and you know If you want to get some calculators, you know, it might get pricey. You know, you want a Texas Instrument calculator. But if you want the children to do it by hand, like they did in the old days, you know, you have that. And like I said, the more I read stuff like this, the more I kind of think about, you know, um, because there's like a big push against, um, I was listening somewhere where like it was a big push in New York, um, trying to combat uh, teachers from giving students so much homework. And I really stopped and I thought, I said, man, if you have like a clash load of like six particular subjects and six different things of homework. Not saying that you can't do it, but it can be it can be somewhat draining, um, especially if it comes at the cost of core subjects um, not being at the highest of levels that they that they can be. Right. So. That's the review of the book. Um like I say I for one um I kind of li- I like the idea of charter schools uh, simply because some of the some of the reasons that that he gave, but I also understand that again when you look through the back of the book if you actually go out and purchase the book, you'll notice that some of the schools um kids were still getting quality educations in public schools, right? And so again, that wasn't again that wasn't the purpose of his book. To badge public schools, but his his notion is is that parents should have the choice. The education of a, of a person's child um, should be in the hands of the parent, and whatever the parent wants to do. And there shouldn't be legislation. There shouldn't be a teachers union. There shouldn't be other government officials that tell parents that hey, your only option is to go to public school, you know what I mean, go to public school, you know, we're not going to, you're not going to issue out any vouchers, any, you know, anything like that, so that probably may end up becoming something that, um, well, I say it may become something, but then again, it it probably won't, because the education um, discussion um, always seems to take a turn um, every so often. Um, But again, that's another subject for another day. But anyway, that's a book review of Thomas Sowell's Charter Schools and Their Enemies. I'll be back to you again next week. Peace.